to the Ryan Hickey Show, where else but the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Thanks so much for making us a part of your Thursday morning, as we have, and we have finally made it to the NBA Finals. We'll preview that here in one second, but I do want to remind you, as you hear the glorious, perfect timing, construction right outside my window, right there, is where there's a ton of construction workers drilling and, of course, they waited until 9.03 a.m. Eastern to start drilling into the ground, knowing our show is coming on the air right at that time. So, fingers crossed it's not too loud over there. You can bear with us here for the next two hours. We're going to try to power on through as we are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizza Studios. Whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Tonight starts the NBA Finals. I think the Celtics are winning the title. I'm taking the Celtics to win the NBA title in six games. And there's one big reason why. I think now in the way we watch sports, offense obviously right is key. Offense is the thing we focus on, we hone in on, and that is really, in most of our eyes, the most important aspect of the game. So we tend to poo-poo defenses a lot in sports. But I think in this series specifically, Celtics-Warriors... Defense is going to be the difference in this series. I think the Celtics defense is going to give the Warriors enough fits to lead them to winning their first title since 2008. Because you look at the Celtics lineup, size-wise, position-wise, they match up really, really well with the Warriors. The Celtics are big. They're long. They're physical. And that, to me, is going to be an issue for the Golden State Warriors. One of the reasons why, because it's something they never really had to deal with so far in the postseason. The Nuggets, they're banged up. Nikola Jokic, no disrespect to him, not exactly known for his defensive prowess uh, on that end of the court. There's not a lot of guys that gave the Warriors a lot of problems. Round number two, the uh, the Grizzlies were definitely more physical and bigger, but still nowhere near the length and the physicality and the defensive excellence that the Celtics have, and the Mavericks are not very good defensively. So you look at this roster so far, the Celtics, what they have, what they bring. It's something the Warriors have not seen so far in the playoffs. And I don't think it's something they're going to be able to handle very well. To the Warriors' credit, right? I have been, admittedly, I've been a doubter of this team in part because you've had down seasons from Steph and Clay. Obviously, they're two big contributors and two main guys. Uh, in this dynastic run where they are in their sixth NBA Finals in eight years. But the impressive part for the Warriors this postseason, this man, it feels like the construction is getting louder and louder, is that they have gotten and, and received contributions from almost everyone on the roster, right? Steph Curry's had some big games uh, himself this postseason. Sending to Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, especially early on in that series against the Nuggets, was outstanding, has, has developed into a superstar before rise. Andrew Wiggins won game three with his offensive and defensive um, 
uh, scoring and defensive standout ability in Luka Doncic in game number three. Kevon Looney's been a rebounding machine. So you've had the Warriors receive contributions up and down the lineup this postseason. But here's the thing. All those guys I just listed, Steph, Clay, Poole, Wiggins, Looney, you know what the Celtics have? They have an answer for every single one of those guys. Let's start guard. Let's start small and work our way size-wise to the bigger gentleman on the Celtics roster. The Celtics have the Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Smart, on their team. That is a tremendous addition to have, especially when we look at this Warriors team that is, you know, received and is, you know, the offense kind of runs through Steph, Clay, and Jordan Poole now, right? Those have been the three main contributors, the big, the three big-time scorers that can explode for 35 at any point in this series. Well, you have DeMarcus Smart, who definitely can follow Steph Curry around the court, who definitely can follow Jordan Poole around the court, can match up and man up with Clay Thompson. So I don't want to say you have an eraser. That's disrespectful to those great Warriors players. But you have someone who matches up really really well and is by far going to pose the toughest test for those few players you just listed. That's a great place to start when you have the defensive player there and Marcus Smart being able to match up with Curry, Poole, Thompson. Pick your choice, Ime Udoka. That is a matchup that you like a lot. Now, you go past it. You have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Two long, rangy, good wing defenders. So you can put them on Klay Thompson. Not allow Klay to get cooking from three like he did in and then close that game, game five against the Mavericks, where he hit eight three-pointers. You could put him on Andrew Wiggins, who, again, for someone who has been written off early in his career in Minnesota, has come to Golden State, and this year especially, has really blossomed and has really thrived in this role. And again, while he's been doing it and having a lot of success this postseason on the defensive end of the floor, game three, 27 points, has really shown a nice propensity of late to get comfortable in the offensive end. And really, when teams try to take away Stephen Clay, he's been getting better looks and converting on those looks. So you have two wing guys, two long, rangy defenders, and Tatum and Brown, that can put a hand in the face of Clay, can make sure he's not getting any open looks, can really match up well with Andrew Wiggins to make sure if you're doing a good job on Steph, if you're limiting Clay's looks, you're not going to get beat by Andrew Wiggins. So you have three really good matchups right now. Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum on three of the best players on the Warriors in Seth Curry, Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, and then throw in there Andrew Wiggins as well. You go down low in the paint. Robert Williams did a really nice job on Mabata Bio this past series. I get at times Robert Williams has looked injured. He's looked slower. That meniscus, kind of we saw with the Joel Embiid too a little bit last year. With that meniscus injury, sometimes looks like he's unaffected. Other times he can barely run up and down the court. It's kind of, you know, the best of both worlds there. But to Robert Williams' credit, for the most part, he did a good job in shutting down Bam. And when you look at it now, going from Bam Adebayo, the Heat, to Kevon Looney of the Warriors, way different task here, right? You were concerned about slowing Bam's offensive shooting down. Well, in this series, Robert Williams is going to have to focus on shutting down Kevon Looney's rebounding ability. Because that's one of the things Looney has done a tremendous, tremendous job of so far in this uh, postseason is giving the Warriors second and third opportunities on the offensive end, just absorbing, inhaling these offensive uh, rebounds and making sure teams on the other end of the floor don't get second and third chances when he's just grabbing rebounds on the defensive end. Looney has been a rebounding machine. Leads the NBA in the postseason in terms of offensive rebounds. So if you're Robert Williams, he's been a good rim defender. He's been someone who can really grab rebounds and dominate United. That's all you got to focus on. 
That's really all you got to worry about is making sure Kevon Looney's not having his way on the glass. If you can limit that, you are looking, you know, really good here if you're the Celtics in limiting those second, third uh, chance opportunities that the Warriors have converted on. And for me, I think that will be the case. I think Robert Williams, again, even though it's been up and down with his knee injury and, and looking 100%, I think he will do a good job in limiting Kevon Looney's rebounding ability. So, Robert Williams matches up with Kevon Looney. You have Brown and Tatum on the outside matching up well with Clay and Andrew Wiggins. You have Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Smart. You can throw in Steph Curry. You can throw in Jordan Poole. Al Horford, to me, is a very solid defender, too. So, you talk about trying to limit, really, the head of the snake will call him in Draymond Green. Because I know Draymond Green gets a lot of attention for what he does on the defensive end of the floor, right? He's always one of those Defensive Player of the Year candidates. He's always someone that, when he makes a nice play, for the most part, it's going to be on the defensive side of the floor. But he is someone who really runs the offense and does serve as a really good quarterback of this Warriors offense. He's very, he's a very adept passer. He has good vision, especially on the fast break, whether it's a long rebound or a turnover. Draymond Green has really done a good job of getting the offense out running, and he can really kind of control the pace. So you can have Al Horford do a good job in trying to slow down Draymond Green. I think he matches up very well size-wise, athletic ability-wise, and he can kind of limit, and if you will, cut the head of the snake off in Draymond Green from getting this offense rolling, from getting this uh, Golden State offense humming like we've seen so many times. So you look around. Like, to me, this this Celtics team matches up really damn well with the Warriors, and that's why I'm taking them in six. I think defense is going to be the biggest key here. Because let's also not forget, to the Warriors' credit, they have done a very good job defensively. Offensively, they have the best offense in the postseason. In the regular season, they had the second-best defense uh, in the league. So they've been able to win games in multiple different ways, right? They can win games on the defensive end of the floor. They can also shoot you to death like we've seen at different parts of the year. But when you look at matchup-wise, when you look at consistency-wise, one of the things for the Warriors that's been a little lacking compared to other years has been that consistency factor in knocking down shots at an elite clip like, we've used to been, like we used to see for so long. I think now the war, uh, the the Celtics defense is going to give them fits. Whether it's Smart, Tatum, Brown, Williams, Horford, I like a lot the way this Celtics team matches up, size-wise, physicality-wise, athletic ability-wise, with this Warriors team. So I'm taking the Celtics in six. I am taking the Celtics in six because I think this this series is coming out of defense, and I like the defense. I trust the defense of Boston more than I do Golden State. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Who are you taking in the finals and why? What is the biggest key to solving the NBA or to for the winner to win the NBA finals? For me, I'm going defense. That favors Boston. How about yourself? Plenty of ways to contribute on the show here. You can do so on the Worldwide Sports Network Facebook page. Type that in, Worldwide Sports Network. Also, check us out, the Ryan Hickey Show on Facebook. Twitter, we're there at Ryan Hickey Show. Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter and YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. When we return, I got a question for you. Kyler Murray, do you see the most pressure on him of any quarterback this NFL season? We'll discuss that when we return us into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
and welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show. You know what else? That can't stop the construction right now. I apologize for the loud drilling that is driving me crazy and hopefully not driving you too crazy. But of course, classic New York City fashion, let's have some jackhammering 10 feet outside my window and let's start it two seconds after the show starts. We will try to power through between now and 11 a.m. Eastern. Again, I do apologize for that uh, for that loud noise. It is very frustrating, but hopefully you can bear with us here. We will push through and have it not serve as a big-time distraction moving forward. Speaking of distractions, let's get right into it. There is not a quarterback, I think, that's under the microscope more. I think there's a player in the NFL this upcoming season that has more pressure on them than Kyler Murray. And the answer is very simple. The explanation is very simple. He is going to get paid this offseason. He's getting a new deal from the Cardinals. But through three years so far, he hasn't earned the money he's about to get. So for me, the pressure to live up to a contract trumps the pressure to win a Super Bowl. That to me is why Kyler Murray is more pressure on this year than any quarterback. More than Aaron Rodgers, more than Josh Allen, more than Derek Carr, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott. You can go up and down the list. Name any quarterback you want. I don't think any quarterback faces more pressure on them to have a successful 2022 season more than Kyler Murray. The other quarterbacks I listed, we know they're good. We know they can win. And they, most of them I listed, they have won at different stages of their career, different points in the NFL. Kyler Murray, though, has not. He has not won. And for you now to, to get a contract which you're going to get, you have to play well and have that, you know, have your play be commensurate with the contract you're about to receive. And frankly, so far, that's not the case. Like, I'll be honest. I have hated everything, absolutely everything, Kyler Murray has done this offseason. And I know recently, yesterday, he showed up back at voluntary OTAs. He is now there practicing on his own time with the Cardinals after holding out for a little bit. That to me doesn't change anything. That erases nothing of what he's done this offseason. Because for me... Kyler Murray, we'll call for what has cheated the system. He has taken a shortcut to getting paid, and I don't like that. I don't think that's the right way to go about it, and I don't think that's the right way to go get a contract. Now, he realized, Kyler Murray realized, his play was not commensurate with a pay raise. But you know what? He said, screw it, I want one anyway. So you know what? He took a shortcut, and you know how he took that shortcut? By throwing a temper tantrum. By going like a petulant five-year-old child, making a big scene, crying, and in order to calm the child down, in order to get the baby to stop crying, the Cardinals will be like, all right, fine, we'll give you the deal. Just like any parent, if their kid is crying in the supermarket or the toy store because they want something, the parents says no, after a while when the crying is so incessant, so frustrating, you say, fine, have it, just please be quiet. That to me is what the Cardinals are doing this offseason, and eventually, because they're going to give them one, don't. Don't get it twisted. They're going to give Kyler Murray a contract extension. That, to me, though, is why they're doing it. To placate Kyler Murray. Not because he deserves one. But to quiet the noise and quiet the drama that he has stirred this offseason. Look, in the temper tantrum he threw, one of the reasons why he tried to justify his outburst is that he cited many other quarterbacks in the NFL that have gotten paid after year three. Guys like Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, all paid big-time contracts by their respective teams after the third year in the NFL. 
Here's the thing, though, with those three quarterbacks compared to Kyler Murray. Those three quarterbacks I just listed, Mahomes, Allen, Watson, were and are deserving of their deals because of their play on the field. They allowed their success, they allowed the stats they put up to speak for themselves so Patrick Holmes didn't have to come out and scrub the Chiefs off of his social media. Josh Allen didn't have to you know, flirt with other teams on social media to send a message to the Bills to get them to get a job done, uh, contract-wise. Deshaun Watson didn't have to you know, threaten the Texans to never play for them again. This is obviously pre-everything that happened. Unless he gets a new deal. They allowed their play to do the talking and the teams realized we better sign them now because it's only going to get more expensive. But here's the thing with Kyler Murray compared to those three quarterbacks. Kyler's nowhere near, nowhere near on the same level as those guys. He doesn't have a leg to stand on when it comes to stats. So that's why for me... Kyler had to make this thing a whole big circus this offseason. And that, for me, I drives me crazy as a way to go about trying to get a new deal. Because like, if we look at, let's just look at what, what he did this offseason. Now, he started everything off week of the Super Bowl by doing what? Scrubbing the Cardinals off of his social media. Petulant move, childish move, passive-aggressive move. But eventually, people caught on. People realized what he was doing. So you get the ball rolling. You get your name in the news. Because you scrub and you take away every single Cardinals post off of your Instagram. Then you have your agent, Eric Burkhart, write an open letter to Cardinals fans explaining why Kyler Murray wants a new deal. Trying to dress it up as, oh, he wants assurances from the Cardinals going forward. He has played well so far. Look at the Cardinals record when he came in compared to where it is now. He just wants, he wants to win a Super Bowl. He wants to be your quarterback, Arizona Cardinals fans. He just wants assurances from the front office that they are actually going to do everything possible to give him the best chance of succeeding. They basically try to paint the Cardinals as the bad guys. Oh, we don't trust him. So far, they haven't done everything uh, Kyler has wanted and needed in order to have success, despite the fact that they have drafted a ton of offensive players, despite the fact they, dra- uh, they traded for DeAndre Hopkins, despite the fact that they've tried to go... They hired Cliff Kingsbury. They try to fix the O-line. They have done a lot. Steve Kime has done a lot to give Kyler Murray the tools he needs to succeed. But if you look at Kyler Murray's post this offseason, if you look at what his agent is saying, you would not think that's the case. You would think the Arizona Cardinals or Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks working in the opposite direction, doing everything possible to make the quarterback's life harder, not easier. So Kyler Murray tried to paint it, you know, to give you an idea that, oh, I'm the victim here. I want to be in Arizona. I just want to make sure the Cardinals are committed to me as much as I am committed to them. And that continued. Because it wasn't just the scrubbing of social media or, or the Cardinals off of social media. It wasn't just his, his agent, Eric Burkhart, releasing his statement to Adam Schefter, explaining why Kyler needs a new deal. There's also demands. Of course, there are always demands. The demands were, I need a new deal for the draft. I am not playing for the Cardinals unless I get a brand new contract before the NFL draft. Well, guess what happened? The draft came and went. No contract for Kyler Murray. So, of course, we've got to amend the, uh, got to amend the demands. Now it's what? He needs a new contract before training camp starts. So Kyler Murray's already walked back his first demand and amended it to make sure it goes from the NFL draft, which he didn't get, to now, okay, we'll give you some more time, training camp. Social media scrubbing. Open letter. Contract demands. This, by the way, 
all these charades, all this circus is coming off of the worst six weeks of Kyler Murray's career. He's not coming off of a season where he finished really well. He's not coming off of a high for the Cardinals this past uh, this past season. He is coming off of a stretch where he played some of the worst football of his career in the most important part of the season, excuse me, for the Cardinals. This Cardinals team started 10-2. and They were the darlings of the NFL. Guess what they did? What Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury do collapsed down the stretch. Last five games of the regular season, the Cardinals went 1-4. and four. Kyler Murray, in the final five games of the regular season, as the season is slipping away, as they go from locks to win the division to now wild card team, you know what Kyler Murray did in those five games, those final five games? He threw just five touchdown passes. Five touchdown passes in the final five games of the regular season. But it doesn't even stop there. Because guess what? He followed that really poor five-game stretch to end the regular season. He took it over to the playoffs and took his poor play up a notch. He went up to himself with one of the worst playoff games we've ever seen from a quarterback in NFL history. He was garbage. He was awful. Two picks, 55% completion percentage, a 41 passer rating. 41 passer rating. It's one of the worst we've ever seen. So he took a, fa- uh, a bad five-game stretch in the regular season, made it worse in the postseason, and then has the gall, the audacity to say, I deserve a contract. Give it to me. I'm not playing for it. Are you kidding me? One of the reasons why I think Kyler Murray is going about this uh, the way he is, causing drama, trying to bring a sense of urgency to his contract negotiations, is because I think he knows there are questions about his future. I think he knows that the Cardinals don't really fully trust him, don't aren't fully all in on thinking he's a guy like the Bills thought or think that Josh Allen's a guy, like the Chiefs thought and think Patrick Mahomes is the guy, and like the Texans thought Deshaun Watson was the guy. They were all in, those teams, when they gave their quarterbacks contracts. The Cardinals are not all in. You cannot sit here and sell me that the Cardinals are sold on Kyler Murray being the quarterback of the future, being the quarterback to get them to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. I don't buy it. I don't believe it because it's not the case. It's not reality. You can't watch Kyler Murray these last two seasons in December and tell me he's the guy. You can't watch Kyler Murray collapse down the stretch each of the last two years and tell me that this is the guy that's going to win you a Super Bowl. So I don't think the Cardinals are bought in. I don't think the Cardinals are all in on Kyler being their future. But guess what? I think Kyler realized that and that's why he's pushing the accelerator to get a contract done, he wants assurances before he ends up like, ba- uh, like Baker Mayfield. Where he's a man without a country, and one injury next thing you know, you're going from a big-time payday of $45 million a year to barely being able to get 20 a year on a fifth-year option. That, to me, is part of the reason why Kyler Murray wants to get a deal done ASAP. He knows their questions, and he's afraid before those questions get answered in a negative way, he'll at least get assurances financially. Now, look. I think Kyler Murray is the most pressure on him because, again, he is putting all this pressure on himself to get a deal he's not worth and then have to live up to it. The Cardinals are without fault here. They are to blame as well for this entire charade that has gone on this offseason because, well, I don't think the Cardinals should have given Kyler Murray a contract extension. Now, they haven't yet, and I think they're going to. But they basically gave themselves no other option when they gave 
Cliff Kingsbury a contract extension. When they gave Steve Keim a contract extension. When those two extensions were announced, and I believe it was early May, uh, early March, excuse me, there was it. That was guaranteed Kyle was going to get a new deal. Because you can't tell me Steve Kime deserves a contract, Cliff Kingsbury deserves a contract, Kyler Murray doesn't deserve a contract. I just told you, well, I don't think Kyler Murray deserves a contract extension. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury deserves a contract extension. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury has done a lot to really have you feel good about taking this Cardinals team to the next level. Has he gotten them from bottom of the barrel to now, you know, post in the postseason mix every year? Absolutely. He has taken them from the penthouse or... For the, excuse me, for the basement to the middle, the middle tier. You know, a, a solid room in a hotel. Well, now if you want to get from that solid room, you want an upgrade. You want to go to a suite. You want to go to the penthouse. I think to me, you need a different coach. Cliff has raised you up. I don't think he's a coach to get you over the top, finish a job, and be a good playoff head coach. But the Cardinals said, ah, screw it. We're going to give him a, a deal anyway. Whether we believe he's the guy or not. We were giving him a contract extension through 2027. So as soon as that move was made, it all but guaranteed Kyler's going to get a contract extension as well. And look, Steve Kine, last week on Pat McAfee's show, basically said Kyler's going to get a new deal this summer. They want to they they tried to prioritize the draft when it was draft time, and now as they start to get geared up for training camp, is when they'll start talking to Kyler Murray. And I think now you saw yesterday what Kyler Murray. Uh, attending optional training, basically voluntary OTAs yesterday. That kind of shows you both sides know a deal is going to be very close. Now it's just about finagling small details. So Kyler's going to get a contract. But let's not forget, that doesn't alleviate any pressure off of Kyler Murray. It only adds pressure. Right? We may think, oh, he's got the deal. Now we can just go play free and uh, and go try to win a Super Bowl. He doesn't have to worry about his future. He doesn't have to worry about the financial impact of a bad game or one injury. He can play free. He can play loose. I think the opposite. Getting a new deal only adds more pressure to Kyler Murray. doesn't alleviate any. Because again, now if Kyler Murray continues to play the way he has, which I don't see him, like, I don't trust Kyler Murray in December or January. You pay your quarterback. You give them, and the reason why salaries for quarterbacks are skyrocketing to where now the average is like $50 million a year for guys like Aaron Rodgers. The reason why? Because you could trust them in December, January, and February. You could trust them to play well in the postseason. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is not the best example of that. Matthew Stafford got a big-time deal. Why? He played his best football in January and February. Patrick Mahomes, big-time deal because he has played tremendous in the postseason. Josh Allen has played well, especially this past postseason. A lot of young quarterbacks, Joe Burrow is going to get paid because what he's done and what he has done so far in the postseason. Quarterbacks are getting that money because come playoff time, their importance, although very important in the regular season, escalates, skyrockets. We see quarterback matchups be a big difference come playoff time. So you pay your quarterback $50 million a year now and more to win games after Thanksgiving. Late November, December, January, and you hope middle of February. So when you have Kyler Murray, who I don't trust at all in late November, in December, and in January, he's going to be getting paid $45 million a year very soon. But if he continues to play like a $3 million a year quarterback like he's played the last few years, guess what? That changes the way the Cardinals approach their future. That changes the way, for good or for bad, how you view Kyler Murray. You get more impatient 
as soon as that price tag goes up. You can live with some of the bumps Kyler Murray has early on in his career because he's getting paid nothing because you have a lot of flexibility salary cap-wise because your, your season, although you know is still relying on the quarterback, but you know you have salary cap flexibility to build a roster and build a solid team around Kyler Murray. When you're getting paid $45 million a year and still playing like early rookie year Kyler Murray, like a quarterback who's getting paid three, four, five million dollars a year, that is all of a sudden when things different, uh, things change, when the calculus changes. Now I think that's going to only add again more pressure to Kyler Murray for him to perform, and I don't think he's going to be able to live up to the contract. I don't. So when you look at early on NFL 2022 outlook, who has the most pressure on him? Yes, Aaron Rodgers has a lot of pressure on him to win his second Super Bowl. Josh Allen. Can he finally get over the hump? Can he finally slay the Chiefs dragon that has gotten in the last two years? Can he get through a gauntlet of the AFC to get to the Super Bowl? Lamar Jackson, right? After a down 2021 year, no contract in sight for him. Can he have a bounce back season in 2022? Derek Carr, you get him to Vonta Adams. It's a loaded AFC West. Can Derek Carr with a brand new deal now show you he can play well and get you to the playoffs consistently? How about Dak Prescott? We know Dak can get you to the playoffs for the Cowboys. Can he play well in the postseason? He's yet to do that so far. So there's a lot of quarterbacks with pressure. There's a lot of quarterbacks that go into 2022 with a lot riding on their shoulders. For me, though, because of the contract Kyler Murray is inevitably about to get. Because for me, his skill and his play aren't commensurate with the deal he's about to receive. I think the most pressure you can have in the NFL is trying to live up to a deal. Trying to have your play reflect the money you are getting. I think that pressure is even higher than the pressure you win a Super Bowl. So for me, that's why I think Kyler Murray has the most pressure on him in 2022. Also, not to mention, because it's his own doing. Because he's the one who started the circus uh, by scrubbing his social media. Because he's the one that's been so vocal about getting a new deal and trying to bully Arizona to giving a new contract. You now have to play well to show you deserve that deal. You cannot lay an egg. You cannot come out there and play like you did last year. You cannot come out in 2022 and crumble down the stretch. And I don't trust Kyler Murray to play well down the stretch. I don't. That's the reason why he has the most pressure on him this upcoming season. How about your thoughts, though? I'm curious, your thoughts. Who has the most pressure on them this upcoming season in the NFL? I say Kyler Murray. What about you? Love to get your thoughts here. Facebook Worldwide Sports Network. You can tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show. Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. Also check us out, WWSRN underscore radio. YouTube, we're there, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll get your thoughts and when we return. Thank God the finals are here because there is one conversation about Steph Curry that is, I think, the dumbest, the dumbest conversation I've ever heard in the world of sports. We'll get to that what it is next and why it is so dumb. There's a tease for you. When we return on the Ryan Hickey Show Radio on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have moved from the drilling part of the construction going on 10 feet outside my window to now some sort of cutting and sanding of the street. Things are going terribly. Here at Ryan Hickey HQ. Hopefully the, the noise is not too distracting, not too frustrating. 
Uh, just know it is for me, but we're still powering through here to give you the best show possible. So the MU finals are here later tonight. Thank goodness game number one about a tip-off. And I can't wait to talk about actual basketball games because I thought so far the lead-up to this NBA finals has brought one of the stupidest discussions, one of the dumbest debates in sports history. There's been a lot. This might take the cake. There has been a large debate and a large discussion about Steph Curry needing to win the finals MVP in order to cement his legacy. Do we realize how dumb that sounds? Steph Curry does not need any award, does not need a finals MVP to cement his legacy in the game of basketball. Are we really... Are we really discussing or talking about looking at Steph Curry, uh, Steph Curry differently if he doesn't win the finals MVP this year? If the Warriors don't win the title this year, are we saying, oh, Steph, going to get it done. Not great. Take all the praise we have about him. Take it away. His legacy is already different than LeBron's legacy, than Michael Jordan's legacy. Because unlike those players, while two of the best players in NBA history, Steph Curry's is different because he had an impact on how the game is played. He transformed the game of basketball. That is something Michael Jordan can never say. That is something LeBron James will never be able to say. Those two dominated, absolutely dominated in their time in the league. Obviously, we know Michael Jordan's greatness. We are seeing LeBron James' greatness, even at 37 years old, right in front of our eyes. Neither, though, for how great they are, for the championships they won, for the way they play, for how great they have been throughout their career. Neither of those gentlemen, two of the best players in NBA history, are able to say they've impacted the game the way Steph Curry has. He has revolutionized the game of basketball with his three-point shot. He has literally, literally changed the way Offenses is play. Uh, offenses played. He has literally changed the way defenses uh, play the game. He has literally changed the way teams construct their rosters. Everything around the NBA the last decade has changed first and foremost because of the way Steph Curry and the Warriors have played and dominated the game of basketball. There is nothing you could say about Steph Curry that's going to take his impact and legacy away. That is first and foremost his legacy to the game of basketball. He has transformed the way the game has played. He has taken the three-point shot and made the game of basketball into a math equation where now teams realize and focus on, you know what? Making three threes is better than making two twos. So we are going to make sure that we are going to take good shots. We're going to take as many threes as possible because the math equation says you hit 40% of your threes and even if you hit 50 or 60% of your twos, three is better than two. We're going to take threes. Analytics is kind of changed the way teams, GMs, front offices, head coaches approach the game. And those analytics are centered around the three-point shot. That three-point shot has really become the most important part of the game because of Steph Curry. So we're talking legacy. We're talking looking back on Steph's career and 10 years from now and 20 years from now. 
I don't care if Steph Curry has one Finals MVP or 10 Finals MVP. You saw how Steph Curry played the game. I saw how Steph Curry played the game. Whether he gets a Finals MVP or not does not change, does not take away his legacy in the game of basketball. Does not take away or minimize or marginalize or lessen his impact and the way he has transformed the game. It is so stupid. It is so stupid that we are trying to boil Steph Curry's career down to whether he has won a Finals MVP or not. He probably should have won in his first year. Andre Iguodala got it. Great. Am I looking at Steph, currently, uh, Steph Curry any differently because Andre Iguodala won the Finals MVP the first year instead of Steph? Absolutely not. Am I looking at Steph Curry, who to me was the ultimate leader, the ultimate team guy taking a step back when Kevin Durant came to town for those three years, and that Kevin Durant won Finals MVP back-to-back years and not Steph Curry? Am I looking at him any differently? Absolutely not. Am I taking away any sort of Steph Curry's greatness because he has zero Finals MVPs and three titles to his name? No. You know it and I know it. Those were Steph's teams. Those were Steph's teams. So we know whether he won Finals MVP or not, that Warriors team was built around him. That Warriors team, their style of play was built around Steph Curry's insane ability to hit the three-point shot at a record-breaking clip. That is Steph Curry's legacy. It's not about how many finals MVPs the guy won. This is not LeBron versus MJ, where you want to look at awards, you want to look at stats in order to determine whether MJ's a GOAT or LeBron's a GOAT. It's a totally different conversation. We're talking about Steph Curry because his impact on the game is different than LeBron and MJ. LeBron is better than Steph Curry. LeBron is an overall greater player than Steph Curry. But again, what Curry has over LeBron is his ability and what he has done to transform the game of basketball and how it is played. He has literally impacted all 30 teams. He's impacted college sports, high school sports, AAU basketball. He has transformed the entire game of basketball and how it is played. So whether he gets no finals MVPs the rest of his career, whether he gets three more awards, I don't care. It doesn't matter. When we talk about Steph Curry, the first thing we talk about is his ability to transform the game. Sure, we'll talk about championships. We'll talk about MVPs. Finals MVPs, I honestly couldn't care less about. I could not give you-know-what about how many finals MVPs the guys won. It is the stupidest discussion, but here we are all week. We got nothing else to talk about. I see it all week on, on Twitter, on TV, on radio. Steph Curry, no finals MVP. Big one here. You know, you really got to get this one. What are we doing? What are we talking about? Are we really, honestly, are we really going to take credit away from Steph Curry if this Warriors team that, I mean, I don't know about you, I didn't think had it, you know, I didn't pick any of the Warriors going to get back to the title again. And now once Kevin Durant left, you had the injuries to Klay Thompson in back-to-back years. You had the, the Suns building, you know, their great roster that they have. I didn't think the Warriors were going to get back to the finals. I didn't. The fact that they are back on this stage is very impressive. So if they win their fourth title, if Steph Curry becomes a four-time NBA champion, but let's say Andrew, Andrew Wiggins wins the award because of it. Let's just say he's dominant defensively against Jason Tatum and sure scores a few points, but takes away Jason Tatum for the entire series. 
let's say, I don't know, Clay Thompson gets hot, right? He ended uh, Game 5 by hitting eight three-pointers. What if he carries that Game 5 performance into the finals, and if the Warriors win in five or six, but he is lights out from three, what if he wins a finals award, finals MVP? I go, are we really going to be sitting here talking about Steph Curry any differently? The answer is no. The answer is absolutely not. So finals MVP does not mean anything for Steph Curry's legacy. You look at titles, sure. He would tie LeBron. If they win the title, he had four titles, four championships to Steph Curry's in. He would tie LeBron James. He would surpass guys like Larry Bird. We're talking about title wins. That is different. But finals MVPs, honestly, I don't care. I couldn't care less about who won the finals MVP. Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant, the great Kobe Bryant, has won five finals. He has five championships to his name. Do you know how many finals MVPs the guy has? Two. Two out of five. Meaning, more championships than not, someone else was better than Kobe Bryant. Someone else won the finals MVP. Does anyone, though, does anyone care that Kobe Bryant has only, quote-unquote, two finals MVPs out of the five titles he's won? Does anyone doubt those five championships, those were Kobe's teams? They were led by Kobe Bryant. Sure, maybe he didn't get credit at the, in the finals for, win, uh, for getting the finals MVP. No one doubts, though, and everyone knows, even, with Sha- even when it was Shaq and Kobe, whose teams those were. It was Kobe Bryant. But let's not get it twisted here. Let's not just pretend that, oh, man, finals MVP means Steph is not clutch. Oh, man, finals MVP means Steph can't get it done. This is lunacy. This is absolute lunacy, and it drives me up a wall because it's so stupid. So stupid. Think about how dumb it sounds to be saying one of the greatest players of all time a guy who has revolutionized the game of basketball, his legacy is going to be boiled down to if he wins a finals MVP or not. A potential four-time champion. Back-to-back MVP. Guy has revolutionized and transformed the way the game is played by shooting the three-point shot. But we're going to say, ah, you know, not that great. No finals MVPs. Guy sucks. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's the dumbest storyline heading to the finals. And I really can't wait for it to be over. I don't think the Warriors are winning the title. I think the Celtics are. But my God. Honestly, just for my own sanity, I pray to God if the Warriors win the title, Steph Curry gets a finals MVP to shut everyone else up. It is asinine. Asinine. This discussion is even being had. Jeez. I don't know what's driving me crazier. That discussion or the, or the construction behind me. It is just a bad, bad day right now to be yours truly, Reinhick. But we're getting the power through. When we return here, I have three big questions, I think, will, uh, to preview the NBA Finals. And one stat that I think is going to determine the champion for who's hosting the Larry O'Brien Trophy. We'll discuss that when we return. It's on to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ryan Hickey Show with you right here, where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As always, the 10 a.m. Eastern Hour is brought to you by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions. So make sure your guests are happily fed with some aesthetically and delicious Charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark herself. So make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. 
The finals are set to tip off in 11 hours from now. So we got three big questions surrounding the NBA finals here and tell you one stat that's going to determine the winner. But we can't talk about the NBA playoffs, the NBA finals, without hitting the best music in the NBA. Round ball rock, that's of course. All right, so now we're rolling here. We got the stage set. We got the music perfect. First question surrounding the NBA finals. Who needs to have a good series for their team to win? Now, look, we're not talking obvious here because clearly Jason Tatum needs to play well for the Celtics. Steph Curry, hot take, needs to play well for the Warriors. You can get that anywhere. Joe Schmo or on the block and tell that to you. So we're going to dive deep here. For the Celtics, the player that needs to play well for them to, to win the series, I'm going with Marcus Smart. I'm going with Marcus Smart particularly on the offensive end. Defensively, we know he's the defensive player of the year, and he's going to be and have his hands full uh, trying to slow down Steph Curry, uh, Jordan Poole, and potentially even Klay Thompson as well. But offensively, this to me is where Marcus Smart is really going to have to play well uh, as well. The Celtics this postseason are 6-2 when Marcus Smart scores at least 15 points. So that's important because, as we know, the two most important players offensively with the Celtics, the two most reliable, consistent players this postseason, have been who? Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But Marcus Smart is kind of the key here because he's the point guard. He is the, uh, the straw that stirs the drink, if you will, right? But also, he has shown a propensity at times to get hot from three. And if he's able to knock down a few shots, hit a few threes, all of a sudden get that Warriors defense, start having to pay attention to Marcus Smart, that's huge because it opens up looks for Tatum, opens up looks for Brown, and it unlocks really the rest of the offense. And you look, right? Gary Payton the second is going to return in the NBA Finals. He is the best defensive player for Golden State. We assume they'll put him on Brown or Tatum. Well, all of a sudden, next thing you know, Marcus Smart's having his way, hitting a few threes, getting to the hole, finishing at the rim. All of a sudden, the Warriors defense, Steve Kerr and Mike Brown, especially the defensive coordinator, are going to have to change the way now. They start guarding because Marcus Smart can get hot, and that's just another guy you have to worry about. And if you're routinely giving him open looks and he's knocking them down, that's what is going to be the biggest difference in this series in favor of Boston. So I'm going player that needs to play well, Marcus Smart, especially on the offensive end. Because if he can get hot, and if he can just not even get hot, just be consistent, 15 points is, I don't think, asking a lot. That complements what Brown and Tatum do so well. It stretches the Warriors' defense thin, and either Smart's going to kill you and put up points, or it's going to rotate the defense and get better looks and better matchups for two of your best players on the wing in Brown and Tatum. So for me... Now talking about Marcus Smart. The Celtic needs to have the best series so far uh, in order for the Celtics to win. On the Warriors side, I'm going with Andrew Wiggins. Boston, we talked about, and we'll circle back to it a little bit. We talked about their ability to have to match up really well with Golden State on the defensive end. They have long, rangy wing players in Tatum and Brown. And so for Andrew Wiggins, especially on the defensive end of the uh, defense side of the floor, that is going to be his matchup. He had his hands on Luka Doncic and did about as good of a job you could ask for against one of the best scorers in the NBA in this day and age. Now, you have two wing defenders that could score, that could hurt you, that can light it up on the scoreboard in any given night in Tatum and Brown. So you're going to have to really ask Andrew Wiggins here to bring it on both ends of the floor. We know Jason Tatum can fill it up. He's been a little inconsistent at times, but when he is on, he to me reminds me so much of Devin Booker when he can make any tough shot on the floor. Turn around, hand in the face, walk up three, fishing hard at the rim. Jason Tatum, when he is feeling it, when he is on, can make shots from anywhere. It doesn't matter who's guarding him, where he's shooting from, hand in the face or not, contested, open, he hits him. 
So Andrew Wiggins is going to have to do his best job here of making Jason Tatum more inconsistent than not. We've seen Tatum up and down, right? He's had great games. He's had some games where he struggles. Wiggins is going to be a big key here on the defensive end of trying to slow down Jason Tatum and cut, you know, make sure at least that's the guy that's not beating him. On the offensive end, I think also you have to have Wiggins, you know, score. It's going to be similar to Marcus Smart, where you know that the Celtics will be keying on Curry, Poole, Thompson. So you think Wiggins is going to get some good looks here, whether it's on Grant Williams, whether it's on Al Horford. He's going to be getting some matchups where he could take advantage of and try to have some success with. So Wiggins offensively, don't have to go for 30 points a game, but just provide some secondary scoring, take a little pressure off, and get some better looks for Steph, Clay, and Jordan Poole. So I think, for me, the Warriors really need to injure Wiggins here on both sides of the court to have a really good and really consistent series if they are going to uh, go and win this finals. Not to mention... One of the most underrated parts of Andrew Wiggins' game is his ability to do offensive rebound. He's been the offensive rebounding king. Kevon Looney, and rightfully so, gets a lot of credit for his rebounding ability, especially this postseason. Kevon Looney has the most offensive rebounds in the NBA uh, this postseason. But he's tied for first. Do you know who he's tied with? Wiggins. He has been the king of the long rebound. He gets in there. He gets second and third opportunities for the Warriors. And that is key because even with Steph and Clay having career-low years in terms of shooting, you give them second opportunities, a third look at drilling it and hurting you, they will do it. So Wiggins has been tremendous in that area as well for Golden State, which has to continue in order for Golden State to have success on the offensive end. So Wiggins, to me, is the guy you got to play well in order for uh, the Warriors to win this series. Who is the most to gain this uh, NBA Finals? If they win... Whose legacy, everything surrounding that player, who is going to get the biggest boost? For me, the answer is simple for this one for the Celtics. It's Jason Tatum. Winning a title would absolutely cement Jason Tatum's place amongst the best players in the game right now. Like, we already know, like, Jason Tatum, not a hot take here, is an extremely talented player. Made his first, uh, you know, he just named first team All-NBA this past year for the first time in in his career. He's been great. But fair or not, how unfortunately, I'll say at times, we determine a player's greatness is the rings they wear on their finger. Look at Giannis. Giannis was doubted in Milwaukee. Giannis was questioned, oh, is he ever going to win a title? Is he going to have to leave Milwaukee? You know, is this a guy that truly you can rely on in the postseason with his style of play? Can he get it done? Giannis wins a title. What happens immediately? Immediately, Giannis is crowned the best player in the NBA. I don't think that's a wrong title. I think he's absolutely deserving, and right now he is the best player in the NBA. But it took him to win a title last year for him to get that proper respect in terms of greatest right now current player in the NBA. So fair or not, Jason Tatum gets a ring this year. We look at him even more differently than we do already. First team All-NBA, great player, 24 years old. One of the budding, rising stars in this game. You get a ring. You get a title. All of a sudden, now you go from, let's say, the class of Devin Booker. Really talented, really damn good. You now elevate yourself to be in the same conversation as Giannis. In the same conversation as Luka. That ring changes a lot of things. And the doubt that is surrounding Jason Tatum. Not that there is any, but we've seen a little inconsistent play. Any doubt that's out there, he immediately goes away. He immediately goes away, 
and changes the way, again, for right or for wrong, we view Tatum. So he's young. To get that first title out of the way, I think would be massively beneficial for Jason Tatum to take a lot of credit, or a lot of, I should say, pressure off of his plate moving forward. If Kenny win a title, can he not? Winning one now, capitalizing this opportunity, I think would go go very far for Tatum. So for me, on the Celtics, he has the most to gain by winning the finals. On the flip side for the Warriors, it's not Steph Curry. It's not Clay. It's Steve Kerr. I think Steve Kerr absolutely has the most to gain by winning this title. Think about it. Fair or not, Steve Kerr has not gotten the recognition he deserves for being a great coach. Every single title he's won, the first three. Steph's team, oh, he had Kevin Durant, it's not fair. It'll almost be looked at as a, like a failure if they didn't win the finals because that's how talented they were. But now you look at what the Warriors had to overcome. First losing Kevin Durant two years ago to free agency. Then losing Klay Thompson for two and a half years due to injury. Steph Curry and Klay Thompson had their worst career shooting years this year. Draymond Green missed half of the year with injuries. You've had players develop and burst out of the scene to become legitimate contributors in Jordan Bull, Kevon Looney, Andrew Wiggins. So this season, we have seen from the Warriors, Steph work his way back and have, you know, a down year but still have success. We've seen Klay Thompson still trying to work his way back, missing two and a half years. Draymond Green, the heart and soul of your team, has missed half the season. You've had the development in front of our eyes of Jordan Poole going from a G League player last year to third splash brother slash superstar this postseason. You've seen Kevon Looney become a rebounding machine, and they have gotten what was an inconsistent player to be a legitimate contributor to uh, this finals run. And you've seen Andrew Wiggins hone his game where he was written off for his talent and not being able to put it all together to now look like a really good two-way player. Steve Kerr is finally going to get the credit he deserves for being a very talented coach. It took uh, some unforeseen circumstances. It took a lot of adversity to overcome. But Steve Kerr and the coaching job he has done this year specifically, he would finally get the credit he deserves. That's why for me... This one would be massive for Curry. Not to mention, can we talk about rings for players and kind of elevating your status amongst the greats? You look at if Steve Kerr gets a fourth championship. He's in six finals in eight years. If he gets a fourth title in eight years, he's only behind the only head coaches in the NBA with more titles than Steve Kerr would be Phil Jackson, all-time great. Red Auerbach, legend of the game. Pat Riley. Greg Popovich, and John Kunla. That's it. That is it. Five names with more titles than Steve Kerr. And he would go and be tied with Popovich and Kunla if he wins that fifth title next year. He is really close to cementing himself amongst one of the great coaches of all time. Steve Kerr, to me, absolutely is the most to gain by winning this finals. And finally, what stat, what one area of the game can we look at that's going to determine whether the team wins or loses? For the Celtics, it's turnovers. Look at their turnover numbers in these five, six, seven games of the finals. And if it's a high number, it's going to be the reason why the Warriors win. If it's a low number, it's going to be the reason why the Celtics win. Their big bugaboo this postseason, their biggest downfall has been sloppiness with the ball at times. 
They have turned the ball over at a high rate. They have played longer series uh, against the Bucks and especially against the Heat, in part because they have been sloppy with the ball and giving teams extra uh, opportunities to get second and third looks because of their bad turnovers. So if they are able to clean that up, I think they're winning the title. I think they are good enough on the offensive defensive end where as long as they're not giving the, the Warriors second opportunities with bad turnovers, limiting their offensive prowess, or limiting their offensive opportunities uh, by stupid turnovers, bad dribbling, throwing the ball out of bounds, this Celtics team is winning the title. For how great Jason Tatum has been this postseason, he's been great. He leads the NBA in turnovers. He has 77 turnovers in 18 games this postseason. 77. Jalen Brown has been sloppy with the ball as well, where he's had just some bad, bad dribbling turnovers. So you cannot waste offensive possessions if you're Boston. You cannot give this Warriors team extra opportunities to hurt you. So for me, the stat I'm looking at, turnovers. If Boston could cut them down and be more careful with the ball, they're winning the finals. If the sloppiness continues, God forbid gets worse, Warriors, congrats, you're getting your fourth title in eight years. On the flip side, for the Warriors, the stat I'm looking at the most that will determine winning or losing, offensive rebounds. If the Celtics cannot contain the Warriors on the glass, if they are allowing second and third opportunities, pop the champagne, raise another banner in the bay, and the Warriors are winning the title. Look, you have hopefully been listening to the show for the duration of the postseason, or at least you, you parachuted in and out. If you've been parachuting in or out this postseason, you know I've been harping on Stephen Clay's shooting woes. Pointing out, not afraid to point it out, feeling no one else has really been talking about. They've had career lows in shooting from three and shooting from the field this season specifically. With that said, though, one of the things you cannot do when Steph and Clay are struggling efficiency-wise from the field normally, you know, compared to their normal numbers, you cannot give great shooters, which they still are, second and third opportunities because they will cash in those chances. They will make you pay. And so far this postseason, that is what Golden State has done. They have gotten second and third opportunities and they have made teams pay. The top two leaders in offensive rebounding this postseason have been Kevon Looney, Andrew Wiggins, both Warriors. They have done a great job at digging out offensive rebounds, getting the Splash Brothers second and third chances to score. That closeout game in game six against the Grizzlies in round number two was a master class by Kevon Looney in offensive rebounding. 22 rebounds overall, 11 on the offensive end. The area where Kevon Looney has been at his best this postseason has been on the glass, whether it's getting offensive rebounds and extra opportunities for the Warriors on offense or preventing that and grabbing the defensive rebound and limiting second chances for the Grizzlies and for the Mavericks. Robert Williams is going to have to inhale rebounds. He's going to have to eat rebounds for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But it's going to have to be a team effort. Tatum's going to get involved. Jalen Brown's getting, uh, getting involved. Marcus Smart has, had to, you know, has to have six, seven, eight rebounds a game. It has to be a full team effort because it's not just Looney. Part of, the reason, uh, part of the reason why Wiggins is tied for first in offensive rebounds is because a lot of long rebounds uh, don't get tracked down by the defense, and instead the Warriors pick them up for second, third chance. So rebounding here is going to be a massive, massive, massive key for the Warriors. If they can continue their rebounding dominance, I think it's going to lead to them winning their fourth title in eight years and going to leave the Celtics going home with uh, by thinking they had a massive 
wasted opportunity. So I'm curious your thoughts here. What is going to determine the finals in your mind? Who has to be the best player for the Warriors and or the Celtics in order for them to win a title? Love to hear your thoughts. You can tweet me because I'm having a little trouble with Facebook. So maybe bypass Facebook for just today. We'll, we'll figure those out and iron those out uh, by the time next time we're on the air. So Twitter, we're still up and running there uh, at Ryan Hickey Show. And YouTube, we're there, Worldwide Sports, right now, because where you can type in YouTube, find the live stream of the show right then and there. So love to get your thoughts. What is the biggest X factor here for um, for these NBA Finals? And also when we return, there's one notion, playing with house money, I think is, it drives me crazy. There is no such thing as house money in sports. I'll describe why that is when we return. This is to the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, Wills, but the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, so there's a phrase that's been been thrown around a lot in this postseason, and we hear it every single year, and it really drives you crazy. Playing with house money. Oh, this team, you know, we didn't think they're going to be here. Now they get past this big team. The rest of the way, they're playing with house money. I think it's one of the worst phrases in all of sports. Because honestly, when you really think about it, it's a loser mentality. Playing with house money insinuates that from this point out, losing's okay. Ah, nothing to lose. So you're, when you're this close to the Super Bowl or this close to the Stanley Cup final or this close to the NBA finals, maybe you're in the finals, ah, it's okay if they lose. Nothing to lose here, right? That's what well, that's what we said. Oh, it means they're playing loose. It means they got nothing to lose, so there's no pressure on them. For me, it sounds like when you say a team is playing with house money, it means it's okay to lose a game, it's okay to lose a series, and I can't subscribe to that. I think two teams we have heard this phrase surrounded by the most this postseason are the Celtics in basketball and the Rangers in hockey. Right, the Celtics are now in the finals against the Warriors. The Warriors are in the finals for the sixth time in eight years. First trip for the uh, Celtics with this core. First time the Celtics are in the finals since 2010. And I feel like we've been saying, oh, you know, the Celtics are the ones that should be playing free now. They got past the Heat. They got past the Bucks. Now from there, it's gravy. If you if you win, great. If you lose, okay, fine. It's, it's not bad. Now the Rangers, because they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. And even, frankly, when they were playing the Hurricanes in round two after overcoming a 3-1 deficit, uh, to the Penguins in round one, I feel like there's been a common phrase of, oh, the Rangers are playing free. They're playing with house money. They have nothing to lose now that they got past and overcame that 3-1 deficit of the Penguins. Everything else from here is great. And free, that's nonsense. Again, it's a loser mentality. When you are this close, if you are the Celtics, when you are four wins away from the finals and winning a championship, if you're the Rangers and you are three wins away from going to the Stanley Cup final, you have to capitalize on this opportunity and win. There's zero guarantee you're going to be back. So you have to make the most of these moments when these opportunities show themselves. That's why for me, it doesn't make it okay if the Celtics lose. Like If you're a Celtics fan, you should be devastated. If the Rangers lose to the Lightning, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be frustrated. Because when you are this close, when you can see the end in sight, and when you know that there's no guarantee of coming back, you have to grab the opportunities when they show themselves because the last thing you want to be doing is looking back or fi- in five or ten years from now and saying, 
woulda, shoulda, coulda. If only they won that title back then. If only we knew X, Y, and Z was going to happen and they're never going to make it back again. If only we took that finals more seriously or, or wish they won it then. Here's the thing I think it's easy to forget. And again, I am guilty of this as well. This is not me talking down to you, the audience. This is me partnering with you and saying we're all in this together. But this is also me realizing I am part of the problem. I am trying to fix it. We forget. We, including me, forget. Sports are not linear. You are not guaranteed to get better from one year to the next. We see it a lot with young teams, right? Oh, this team is so young and they'll be back. They'll be here forever. Oh, you know, the Celtics, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are 24 and 25 years old. They'll be back in the finals for a while. There is no guarantee that because you had success, let's say you made it to the Super Bowl, let's say you made it to the finals, there's no success you are getting back next year or the year after year after year. Sports is not a linear graph where you go from point A to point B to point C in a concurrent time in three years in a row. If you don't break through, or if you break through, if a young team, let's say, that does break through, let's say like the Celtics here with a young core that finally gets past the Eastern Conference Finals, gets to the finals, there's no guarantee they are getting back here anytime soon. So while you're here, while you have the opportunity in front of you, capitalize it because you truly never know when you're going to be back. AKA, ask Dan Marino. I guarantee you, when Dan Marino made the Super Bowl in year number two, what was the conversation around Dan Marino? Oh man, this guy is so young. He'll be in this game forever. Oh, he didn't win the Super Bowl, but that's okay. Like he'll, you know, he'll have plenty of chances to get so. Dan Marino never got back to a Super Bowl. Dan Marino never won one. I'm not saying you can take that Super Bowl seriously. Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. It's more of a fan's perspective and a media narrative than a player thinking, like a player thought. This house money uh, perspective. But Dan Marino should be the ultimate example of why house money should never exist in sports. Second-year quarterback, one of the best we've ever seen in the NFL throwing the football, never got back to his Super Bowl after year number two, ringless. He is ringless. So when you see in sports with how competitive they are, with the parity being real, and leagues trying as much as possible to have as much parity in the NFL or uh, in sports leagues as possible, especially professional sports leagues, these championship windows get smaller and smaller. You cannot waste any opportunity that you are given. So again, it drives me up a wall. It drives me crazy when you hear, oh, this team's playing with house money. It indicates, eh, if they lose from here, it's not a big deal. Eh, if they lose from here, you know, it's still a great year. When you are this close, go for it. Absolutely go for it. So when you look at the Celtics, again, we hit on it a little bit already. Yes, they have, you know, knocked on the door. The Easter Conference Finals now a few times have gotten rejected. They finally broke it through. The door has been kicked down, and they're in the NBA Finals for the first time since 2010. This core of Jason Brown, uh, Jason Brown, might as well just combine them both. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, they finally broke through and made the NBA Finals. Yes, you have Tatum at 24 and Brown at 25. They should be here for a while. You have a first-year head coach in Ime Udoka, which, again, you'd assume the Celtics team is here for the long haul. They are here to stay, and they are here to make multiple finals appearances, and you'd assume get at least one title. But here's the thing. It is absolutely far from a certainty that the Celtics will be back on the stage again. When you think about it, I'm not saying they got lucky. The East is a gauntlet, and the Eastern Conference now is a lot harder than it was even five years ago. And the Celtics 
Let's call it for what it is. They got a few breaks. Every that's not taking anything away. Every championship team catches breaks on their way to winning a title. Look at the Warriors. Their first title it was LeBron James and no one else. Kyrie was hurt. Kevin Love was hurt. That team was a shell of itself. Is anyone taking away the Warriors' first title? No. But it's just the reality of the fact that sometimes injuries happen. The Raptors talk about injuries. Klay Thompson said, uh, and Kevin Durant, two of the three best players on the Warriors team, were injured at some point in the series. The Raptors are not giving anything back. But if the Raptors blew that opportunity, we know they haven't been really close since. So when you have the Celtics getting breaks that they have had, where you face the Nets in round number one, the Nets stunk. Kevin Durant, especially now, that's a lot of your doing playing good defense. But Kevin Durant stunk. This Nets team had nothing to give you. The Bucks in round number two, even though the defending champs were without Chris Middleton, which does absolutely impact the series. So you caught a break there in the second best player on Milwaukee, missing the entirety of the series. And the Heat were banged up. Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero. The Heat were banged up. So your run to the finals right now was catching the Nets at the perfect time this year because they were super banged up and not really not playing good basketball whatsoever. You faced a banged up Bucks team that was missing the second best player, and you played an entire roster of Heat uh, players that was hurt in one way or another. Now look, the Celtics have their own bumps and bruises. They've had players like Robert Williams and Marcus Smart in the lineup. So I'm not saying again the Celtics are here and it's a fluke and they got lucky, but the reality is, you, ca- you they caught breaks in order to get here. And going forward, there's no guarantee the Celtics will be as healthy as they are right now. There's no guarantee that they won't be facing a major injury. Last year, Jalen Brown was out of the playoffs. Out of the playoffs with a wrist injury. Next year, if they lose the finals, and we say, oh, the Celtics will be back next year. What if Jason Tatum gets hurt? What if Marcus Smart gets hurt? What if they just have, you know, a, a bad year? Because now, guess what? They become the hunter, or the hunted, instead of the hunter. That changes. When teams now put a target on your back, and teams are game planning and chasing you instead of the other way around, it is harder to win. So, if you're the Celtics, yeah, you're here. Yeah, you caught some breaks. But there's no guarantee those breaks you caught will be will be happening again next year or the year after that. And look at other teams in the NBA that have had promising runs to the Western Conference Finals, to the Eastern Conference Finals, to the Finals themselves, only to fizzle out. The Trailblazers. Remember when Dame Lillard finally broke through and got to the Western Conference Finals back in 2019? Yeah, they were swept by the Warriors in four games. But they made it. And we thought, okay, this, this Blazers team, they are going to be a legitimate contender in the West for years to come. They have not been close to the Western Conference Finals since. They've not been close. Oh, Blazers, playing with house money. They'll be back. Have been close. The Suns. Now look, their window is still open. Don't get me wrong. But Suns made, the Suns made it to the finals last year. I thought the Suns were winning the title this year. They were the best team in the regular season. The Suns had a lot of benefits going their way. They were healthy. They got Devin Booker back. And guess what? In round number two, they lost to the Mavericks. And now, now, not saying the window is closed. I still like the Suns a lot going next year. But you look at the Suns team. CP3 is not getting any younger. He's already very old. And he is kind of the heartbeat and, and the, the captain of that team. He's older. DeAndre Ayton is going to be gone. This offseason. So your roster is already starting to change just one year after making a finals appearance and being up 2-0 against the Bucs. So we look at a Suns team where we think, hey, they're here for, you know, they have sustained greatness. Uh, Devin Booker is great. Mikael Bridges is a really, uh, really good player. But already, 
we are starting to see changes to that Suns team. Already, we are starting to see how hard it is to get back to the finals. And sometimes you just get, whether you run into a hot team, you yourself have just a poor shooting out like we saw in Game 7. The playoffs, anything can go. Again, there's no guarantee. Suns right now are licking their wounds after their round two loss. That's a tough, tough pill to swallow. So nothing is guaranteed. You got to take advantage when you can and windows close shorter than we ever anticipate. Look at hockey. The Rangers, the same thing. The Rangers have been, you know, having the house money card, if you will, played on them more than the Celtics. But you look right now, the Rangers are hot. The Rangers are hot. gets me very excited. They're playing great hockey. They just smoked last night. The two-time defending Stanley Cup champs in the Lightning 6-2. Andre Vasilevsky has been one of the... He's been the best playoff goalie in, let's say, the last three or four years. He has been tremendous. The Rangers put a sixth spot on him in game number one. Igor, your own goalie, Igor Shosturkin, has really been standing on his head and playing the best hockey of the season really since after getting uh, after game four in Pittsburgh in round number one where he just was... You know, he was shelled, had another rough game, and the Penguin fans were taunting him. Ever since that game four in round number one in Pittsburgh, he has taken his game to another level. You've had the young players in Alexi Lafreniere, Filipino, Capo Caco, we call him the kid line here in New York. They have been your most consistent line. And you've had Mika Zibanejad be on fire since really game six of the first round. He has 17 points in his last 10 games. He is third in all the playoffs in points. And again, the first six games of the opening round series against the Penguins, you couldn't find him. You had to put him on a milk carton because he was nowhere to be found. He has been hot since then. So you look at this Rangers team. They are playing their best hockey this season. They are three wins away from the Stanley Cup final. It's not okay at this point to be okay with losing. If they fall short, if the Lightning go to their third straight Stanley Cup final, I'm going to be pissed. As a Rangers fan, I'm going to be very frustrated and say that was a missed opportunity. They are playing great, great hockey right now. It's not gravy if they make it. It's not, oh, wow, this would be great. This is, you know, it's already a successful season. If they lose, it's okay. There's no guarantee this Rangers team will be anywhere as close to the finals as they are, as the finals are right now. Get it done. It is much harder to sustain success than you would think. Being the hunted, not the hunter, is a lot harder to repeat success. Look at the Bengals. I'm not saying the Bengals' Super Bowl window is closed. Joe Burrow's in year three. Jamar Chase is in year two. Right? You're just coming off of being within one minute and 51 seconds. Or not even less, I think a little less than that. They came within 90 seconds, I should say, of winning the Super Bowl. That's when the Rams scored their final touchdown. And you look, okay, if you feel good about the Bengals, this team's going to be here for a while. You can't feel great after seeing what the Aussies like in the AFC. Where you had the Bills improve their roster. The Broncos go and get Russell Wilson. The Browns get Deshaun Watson. The Chargers load up their, their team on both sides of the ball. The Raiders make a big time splash. This AFC is a gauntlet. This AFC has gotten a lot tougher and a lot harder to manage. There is going to be great teams that are going to be eliminated in the wild card round of the playoffs. Think about that. You are going to have, just off the bat here, two quarterbacks between, if we talk about some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and the AFC specifically, 
Josh Allen, Patrick Holmes, Russell Wilson, Joe Burrow. I put Deshaun Watson there, but we'll take him out for this year because of the suspension. You have four great quarterbacks. Burrow, Allen, Mahomes, Wilson. Two. Two of those four are not even going to be making it to the uh, AFC title game. Two of those four will be home before the title game. This is going to be a grind in the AFC for years to come. So if you look at the Bengals, sure, they still have a, a window that's open. And they still have a long way to go. And you have, you know, you feel you're in a very good spot with Joe Burrow being your guy. But now you look around, you are within 90 seconds of winning a Super Bowl ring. And now you look at the road, it is way tougher to get there again. It is going to be a very, you know, very tough sledding now moving forward. I get they were the Bengals were quote unquote playing with house money. But now you really realize, man, getting that Super Bowl would have been nice because it's going to be a lot tougher going forward to get back to the big game and win it. House money doesn't exist in sports. The windows are small. They get they end before we think. Luck sometimes doesn't go your way. You know, getting breaks, getting luck, injury, you know, health, getting the good bounce of a ball, a good bounce of a puck. Things need to go your way in order to win a title. Every single championship team receives a break at one point or another. But for every break one team gets, that's a break that goes against another team. Just remember that. It is really tough to win a title in any sport. So when you're there, you got to capitalize because there's no guarantee you will be back. No house money. Loser mentality. Dumbest thing in sports. If you're the Rangers, three wins, go get it done. If you're the, the Celtics, four wins away from the title, go get it done. Nothing else should matter. So we have to end the show a little bit early, but I do want to leave you with one announcement. So the show is, schedule-wise, undergoing a slight change. Usually we do the show every Monday, every Thursday, right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. That is changing. I have been blessed and lucky enough to receive a few extra opportunities hosting-wise at CBS Sports Radio. That's going to take up some of my time. So no longer starting really this week, we'll be doing a Monday show. We'll still be here every Thursday on the Worldwide Sports Network, giving you the Ryan Hickey Show, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on Thursday morning. But I am cutting back and no longer doing at least the Monday show. So I apologize for that. The weekends, I know, coming off your weekend, your Monday morning is going to get a little bit more chaotic, a little bit more dreary and bleak. I know. I get it. I apologize. But we'll still be here every Thursday, once a week, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. So keep you updated on where you can listen to me on CBS Sports Radio. A lot more weekend opportunities coming there. But we'll update it and put it on social media as well in case you missed it. No more Monday show of the Ryan Hickey Show going forward. That is started. But very excited to talk to you next Thursday. So, again... The schedule will change moving forward. We will talk to you next Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. So between now and then, stay safe, stay sane as always, and we'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.